Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. I'm so happy to see you here today. And I'm happy to have Lisa Miller with us today. We're going to have a really interesting conversation that's been a little different than anything we've done so far. So Lisa, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Sure. Um, Thanks for having me. Um, I'm Lisa Miller, and I am uh, a clinical mental health counselor and a midlife coach and a clinical pharmacist. So I have a lot of different hats, um, depending upon what I'm doing that day when I get up. But I have a, a practice for women in midlife and transitions. And uh, it's, just, it's just become a passion of mine. That, that's so wonderful when you get to a, a point where you can just live your passion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I wake up every day and I'm like, I can't believe I get to do this. That's so cool. Well, it, you had kind of a transition yourself in careers. Is that, that's right. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So I always wanted to be a psychologist. Um, I tell people when I was in the fifth grade, instead of going out on the playground, I would go to the library and read the uh, psychology today. And at Christmas, my parents got me a subscription so I could at least, you know, go out on the playground from that point on. But I always had a fascination of why people do and think the way that they do and thought about a career in psychology early on. But at the time, I didn't really um, know a whole lot about what a career in psychology would do. I was the first in my immediate family to go to college, and I ended up in pharmacy school. Wonderful career, and I'm still a pharmacy professor, and I love that. But I noticed that I've always gravitated within the profession to areas where I can help people grow. And so for several years, Um, I was an assistant dean for faculty development at our school of pharmacy and hired and helped a lot of younger faculty grow and and get promoted over time. Precepting students um, has also been a passion of mine. And then my clinical practice for a while was in hepatology. So I had a lot of hepatitis C patients. And at the time, the medication was really challenging. And a lot of times, if it didn't work, that was really there. There were no other options for them. And so some of the patients um, didn't make it past their treatment. And so in all of those scenarios, you know, the common denominator was just helping people uh, suffer less and have a better, happier life. And that's sort of how I came up with, with Thrive Women Care. How I ended up in counseling, though, you know, as a pharmacist for, for many years and um, after my divorce, thinking about transitions and what's next for me and met a wonderful man. We're now married. And he just kept saying, well, why don't you go back to school? You know, your daughter is going to go to college soon. It's going to be an empty nest. And I just kept thinking of all of these different reasons why I couldn't do it. And he would always have an answer for that. And so finally, I'm like, fine, I'll do it. And went back to school the last three years, um, my daughter's high school, and got a degree in clinical mental health counseling. And now I'm sort of doing both. I have uh, coaching and counseling and also my um practice at at the School of Pharmacy. Wow. 
what a busy full life you have. <laughs> it feels that way, yes. <laughs> yeah. Sounds quite wonderful. Well, one of the transitions that we all go through at some point is losing someone that we love. And I think it would be nice for us to, to talk about that. Any helpful advice you could give to people? Yeah, I think that losing somebody that you love is one of probably the hardest types of grief that we that we experience um, as humans because we're so together. You know, we we thrive when we're together. And when you lose someone, that's a real challenge for people. And the latest DSM-5 uh, that just came out this month, actually, the revision to it has um, a category now for complicated grief that's separate from anxiety or depression. It's its own separate diagnosis and it's it's for that complicated grief that people just can't bounce back from. And I think that while grief is probably the hardest thing that we go through, I think it's also the biggest potential for growth that we have. And my experience, uh, I've been fortunate. I still have my parents. I have a grandmother who's 87. I've been lucky that way. I did lose one grandfather when when I was 16 to cancer. But for me, the biggest type of grief that I ever had was in my divorce um, from my first marriage. And I think what people sometimes don't realize is that grief is different for everybody when it comes to divorce. And so in my particular situation, I was the one who wanted the divorce. And I found in my moments of grief, when I looked to resources for how to get through those times, it was always from the angle of a woman that's being divorced from, like a husband that's leaving the woman. And it, it dawned on me that, you know, there are times where women leave a relationship and you still grieve that. Just because I was the one that, that made that decision doesn't mean that I didn't grieve that. And, you know, your podcast, what I really like about it is the fact that it talks about there's some happiness there. And there is. I mean, grief is an emotion just like any emotion, but mourning is what we do with that. It's how we process that. And there can be times of tremendous sadness and also times of happiness and growth. And there were times that I felt like, you know, this is a big turning point for me that I have other possibilities now. So I think that grief is a challenge that is probably one of our most common transitions because there's grief in every facet of everything, empty nest, you know, for women, I, I see women, so it's empty nest, menopause, infertility, miscarriage, divorce, parents that are elderly and sick. There's a lot of grief that we experience in a lot of our transitions. That's true. Uh, our, anybody who thinks they haven't been in some kind of grief yet in their life is probably not <laughs> recognizing that they have because there, there are so many different kinds of loss. And I know sometimes people just get buried in it and, and can't function, can't move forward. And I think that's with the, the new category that they've come up with is looking at. And when I read about that in, in the news just recently, I thought that concerns me a little bit because I, I worry about people thinking at the end of a year, because I think they put a one-year time limit on grief, that at the end of the year, you're supposed to be fine. You're supposed to be over that, as people say and uh, go on with your life. And that's not how it happens with most people. Most people uh, who, like I've had my parents die, my sister die, lots of friends die. 
that's besides my two husbands that died. And I honestly feel like I'm still grieving them because I'm holding them in my heart and they're not here. At the same time, I'm perfectly functional and I'm actually happier than I ever have been. So I was a little bit concerned that they put a time limit on the the, Mm -hmm. uh, diagnosis. What do you think about that? I felt the exact same way. I think you bring up an interesting point with the DSM-5 and the DSM, ICD-9, all of those things. You have to it's a medical diagnosis, right? It's a, it's coming from the medical model and in the profession of counseling. So I kind of ride two worlds in pharmacy. We are a medical model. So what's wrong with you? Let's treat that. And in counseling, we come from a totally different model where you're a client and we look at your strengths and what you can build and what you want to change. And so there's always a little bit of um, a struggle that counselors and, and therapists have with putting somebody a diagnosis on someone and or telling them that you don't meet this because it's only been eight and a half months. Um, it's like you said, it's it's unfortunate that we have to have it for reimbursement purposes if you're going to see a healthcare provider um, because it does label people. I try to look at it though as at least it's recognized. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I like about it is it is recognized as not just being anxiety or depression. It's different. And I think you kind of just nailed it on the head when you said that, like it's holding someone in your heart and being happy yet grieving at the same time. That's not necessarily depression. That's not necessarily anxiety. That's that's grief. And that's something separate. It's It can be a beautiful thing. There's nothing wrong with it. And in fact, it's probably one of the most natural processes that we go through. Yeah. And as I mentioned, everybody does. So if, if we can have a, a healthier, I think, perspective on the process of grief, I think that's a, a really good idea. And it's something I don't think we really hold in our society very well right now. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about how some people have different kinds or, or not different kinds of grief, different triggers for their grief that gives them different results. For instance, I, I do a lot of social media because of my book and my podcast and things, so I'm, I'm on quite a bit. And one thing that I notice is that when people are dealing with, they have had a, a child, even an adult child, who has died by suicide. And with them, it seems like they, they are so raw a long time later. It, it just... it. It doesn't get easier as time goes on. It's almost harder as time goes on. And it seems more logical to me to be thinking about treating people where they are and what they're dealing with instead of uh, saying, well, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I practice from a acceptance and commitment therapy type lens, and it, it involves a lot of mindfulness and being able to sit with how you feel. And I, and I think it's, it, your, your life is not going to be the same, especially in that situation you just described. It's not going to be the same, but finding some type of meaning in it and learning how to be okay with some days, I'm not going to want to get out of bed. And other days, I'm going to be laughing with friends and not feeling guilty about that. There's no right or wrong. Each day can be different. But just to recognize that 
you know, as long as you're moving in the directions, you're doing the things that, that matter to you, that if family is important to you, that you're not cutting yourself off from the rest of your family, that you're, that you're living your life while you're here and being okay with, with what comes up. I think that's really helpful for a grief journey. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of times people don't or have a harder time with a situation like, like the one I just mentioned because they can't get their head around it, you know, how someone would choose to die. Mm-hmm. What kind of a home life did they have? Was it, was it the parents' fault, you know, and which is, I'm sure, rarely true, but people who are looking at it from the outside don't know what to do with it. And I think their, their their attitudes kind of drive the the trouble that people have with with dealing mm-hmm. with their grief over it because of, of that sort of situation. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's being talked about more, and it's something that it's it's more common to to talk about and to bring out into the open. But there is still sort of that sense of. Uh, taboo, like, well, why did they do that? What was wrong with them? What was wrong with you? And just not, it, it, it's sort of similar to, you know, it's any situation where what, what happens is not what's supposed to be in the natural thing of, of life. You know, your, your child's not supposed to die by suicide. Um, that's, that's not how that's supposed to be. And so how do you interact with somebody? What do you say to them? A lot of people just don't know how to help someone in that situation. And not just in that situation, a lot of people can't talk to people who are, they know are grieving at all. Mm-hmm. I know that happened a lot to me after Jacques died, my, my first husband who died. I had lots of friends, knew tons of people. And boy, you would think I never knew anybody in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it took quite a while till I, uh, I made up my mind that I wasn't going to just stay isolated for the rest of my life and started actively doing something to help me mm-hmm. better. But during that time, I, I was at the doctor for something else and, and he knew me and he knew my husband and he, he said, well, how are you doing? And I said, well, it's hard. You know, I'm, I am down a lot of the times, but I'm, I'm trying. And so he gave me an antidepressant and I said, do I really need this? And he goes, well, yeah, you, you need it. So you won't get any worse. And I, I just, I questioned that, but at the same time, I thought, well, maybe he knows something I don't. And so I tried it for a while and I thought, I don't know how I'm doing this. It didn't seem to make any difference in my life. I think it was just him wanting to help me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't really know what to do. And, and, you know, sometimes they think it is medication and in something like grief, you know, it's different than depression. It's, it's, it's different. So I would imagine the neurochemicals are different. Your brain is different. I, I don't think that everybody necessarily needs to be on an antidepressant. I think being in community, being around people, finding others that are on the same journey as you or somebody that's willing to just sit with you is being in community is probably the best thing that you can do when you're, you know, surviving the, the loss of a husband or a wife. Or, or any loved one. Yeah. You mentioned something about mindfulness. How, how do you uh, see mindfulness and grief? Uh, I think mindfulness is just so good for, for many things. Um, I, 
you, it's a big buzz, buzzword now, but um, it's been around for a long time. You know, John Kabat-Zinn was one of the first um, physicians to kind of bring it into sort of the mainstream here in the United States. But it really is just allows you to kind of separate yourself from your thoughts and your feelings. And it allows you, and it doesn't have to be meditation. A lot of times it, it is, but it can just be becoming more aware of the space that you're in and what you're doing, um, enjoying something, being present for that, enjoying that. So if it, it's really helpful for people who are experiencing a lot of grief because you may be, say you go to a family event and you're sitting there with others, but you're in your head and you're, you're just remembering how, you know, your family member used to be there or your friend used to be there. Now they're not. And you're missing all of the things that are going on around you. And so mindfulness just really allows you to take a step back, just take a breath and, and look around you and, and enjoy the, the moment at that time. Because there's one moment and then there's another moment and, and you just keep going. And so mindfulness, I think, is just really helpful for so many things. But for grief, it just gives you a place. It's non-judgmental. You know, there's a lot of loving kindness meditations now where you can kind of just give yourself some compassion for what you're feeling and know that it's okay and know that you are not your feelings or your thoughts. You are, you're separate from that. That's just so true. I, I think a lot of people haven't um, recognized that so far in their lives. I, I think most people don't. And when uh, when you can discover that and you can do that, it, it it's wonderful. It's mm -hmm. a really good, positive thing to do. Yeah, and there's a, a lot of research for from a lot of different facets of of your health that show that it's good, that it's helpful. And grief is definitely one of those. I know. I was having a conversation with my son the other night, and I love things like. Uh, meditation and I love sound healing and different things like that and and he just thinks it's all woo-woo stuff and isn't real <laughs> and I my feeling kind of is that if you think you can get help from something you probably are going to get help from it mm -hmm. and if we can learn to be open to different things yeah and it, it it doesn't hurt to try it and I know some people think that it's um an Eastern religion that's Buddhism. So they, they may not want to go that route, especially if they're Christian or, or whatever, but it is, it's not a religion. Um, especially this mind, what I do is mindfulness based stress reduction, um, with clients. And I do some trainings and things, um, for students and people in the community. And it's, it's, it is a mindfulness meditation is not any type of religious experience. Um, it is simply just bringing your back, your mind back to the present moment when it wanders, because it will five, 10, 15, 20 times in the first minute, it might, but you just bring yourself back to the present moment, whatever you're focusing on that day, your breath, you know, feeling uh, the feeling of sitting in your chair, whatever that might be. And and not judge, just be curious about how you're feeling that day. And for somebody that's grieving, that might be, hey, I, I feel all right today. You know, I, I can I can see that. So, so yeah, it, but a lot of people do. You know, I'm not going to try that. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like they, they don't want to help themselves because they, <laughs> or I think sometimes from a psychological perspective, this one might be kind of interesting too. Sometimes people, 
are afraid of losing their grief. They, they think that if, if they get over it, so to speak, that they are somehow being disloyal to the one that, yeah. that is gone. Does that sound like what yes. happens? It, it does. It happens a lot. People feel like they shouldn't be happy. And when they are, when they catch themselves laughing, then they're being dishon- they're dishonoring the person or they're, you know, they shouldn't move on. And that's, that's very common that, and then people that are, that are close with others that are also grieving that same person and they do it on a different time frame or in a different way that also can create, um, as you know, some problems between people because they don't understand why one person appears to have moved on and maybe they haven't, they're just, they haven't necessarily moved on. Like you said, moving on, you, you sometimes don't move completely on. It's just that you're on a different path at a different time on that particular day. And, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, the thing, I think that the most important thing that, that we can do as people in general is to not judge anybody's path. Yeah. Whatever is happening with them is happening with them. And that doesn't mean you're not compassionate and you don't care. It means just don't, uh, don't think that there's, there's one way or only a certain way to do things mm-hmm. that, uh, just supporting somebody and offering them, you know, love and, and support and comfort it can make a huge difference. And I think people that don't have any of that at all, it, it makes it because there are a lot of isolated people in the world. And I think if the people don't have that human contact, it just makes it that much harder. It takes that much longer. Yeah. And I, and I think a lot of people, you know, you were talking earlier about they don't reach out. They don't help. You know, you had some friends that kind of just disappeared. And a, and a lot of times they just don't know what to say because maybe they haven't experienced it themselves. And for some reason, they feel like you're going to look at them and say, you have no idea what this is like. And that's just not the case. You know, and I, so I tell people, I say, well, then just lead with this. I don't know what this is like because I've not had this happen. I've never lost a husband but I imagine it's really hard. And I just want you to know that I'm your friend and I'm here for you for anything that you need. If you just want to talk to me, want to go for a walk, whatever, I am here and I'm thinking about you and I care about you. That's so beautiful. I think I get that question more than anything else where people say, I don't know what to say to someone who's lost someone. And I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to do something wrong. And so they don't say anything. And that's, that's worse. Yeah. And, and the other thing you probably find too is people want to, when they are around you, they want to pretend like that person didn't exist or they don't want to bring that person up because they're afraid of maybe making you cry or upsetting you. And so it's almost like it's, there's a tension there. There's a person that's not in the room. We're not going to talk about them. And sometimes that can be hard on a person as well. And, you know, they, they, nobody wants their loved one just to be forgotten, um, but people don't really know sometimes how to handle that situation. Yeah, I, I often say, um, if you can't think of something to say, say something real, and even if you can't think of something, say something positive about the the one who died. Mm-hmm. I, I know with me, uh, my parents were married for 53 years, and it always tickled me when somebody said, I just love how much your parents loved each other. They always held hands when they were walking and after all those years that that was still there. 
well, that's not going to make me cry. And if it does, it's happy tears. You know, it, it feels good when somebody says something positive about their loved one. You, you don't have to say something like, I'm sorry for your loss, which is my probably most unfavorite phrase. <laughs> I've gotten up for judging people for saying it because for a while it was really bugging me because I thought, well, then, then say something else besides that if you really are sorry, because <laughs> that's, that's yeah. not helpful at all. Yeah. It, it just sounds like have a nice day. You know, everybody says it and they don't really care whether you have a nice day or not. It's just something to, to fill space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you see a lot of that on social media too. I struggle with that. Um, you know, people will put some really hard things that they're going through. You know, I just lost someone and, you know, there's hundreds of comments and it's, it's hard to know. It's hard to know what to say on a social media platform. And so you find yourself saying what everybody else is saying. I'm so sorry for your loss. And you just see post after post, or I'm praying for you or, and I think that's tough. I think, you know, people would say something different if they knew what to say sometimes. I think social media really kind of makes that challenging. It does. And a lot of times with social media, you don't really know who the person is, but you feel like you want to say something to support them. And that, that uh, I'm not sure how helpful that is to have a, a hundred entries of I'm sorry for your loss. Well, there's a bunch of sorry people out there is what it would look like to me, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I'd rather uh, say them, say something like, I'm, uh, you must miss him or something, something genuine, whatever you could say that's genuine. Another question I, I have asked is, for the person who is grieving, what's the most important thing to do right at the beginning of their grief? What what should they be doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I know I, I, when when somebody asks me something like that, I always say take good care of yourself because it, at that point, that's critically important and often neglected. Yeah, and very early on, you know, depending upon what the loss is and what what you're grieving there's a certain amount of time where you're just in shock mm-hmm. and you really just need someone to help you, you know, make sure that you have what you need, that do you need somebody to go to the grocery store? Do you, do you need somebody to pick up your medication? Do you, because in the early days, you just need, you're, you're in shock and you just mm-hmm. need some extra support. That's not really the time that, that most people want to process or, or talk about a lot. If they do listen, but, you know, in the beginning, there's just so much that you can do by just being present with someone. That, that's so important. Sometimes people have situations where they've got a loved one who has really been suffering. Uh, somebody that's been dealing with ALS or cancer or something for a real long time period. And then when the person dies, they'll feel guilty because they don't feel as bad as they think they're supposed to be feeling. Uh-huh. But I, they think they've gone through like anticipatory grief so that it's, it is different for them. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, t- I totally agree with you. And I, and I think that a lot of times people definitely, a lot of people do feel guilty in that instance because they feel a sense of relief for the person, but also for themselves, a caregiver burden is real and there's nothing to feel guilty about with that. But 
but I know some some people do. The other aspect of that is what, you know, sometimes you have people that were not in a good relationship, mm-hmm. but stayed with that person to help them through their illness. And then when they pass, their grief is usually very complicated because then they have to deal with the end of that relationship and the death and all of those mixed feelings that they have. So there's just a lot of a lot of different scenarios and challenges that that people may bring to their grief that from the outside looking in, we may not know. And I think that's another reason why, like you know, you said earlier, not using just catchphrases and sorry for your loss and uh, I'm sure he's in a better place and 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 things like that. Just kind of being genuine and saying that you're there is probably the most helpful for people. I, I agree. I, that's that's so important. One thing that happened with me that I was kind of not prepared for, kind of surprised by. After Jacques died, I didn't even think about getting married again. Just you know, we'd been married 22 years, had a great relationship, and I just couldn't think about moving forward or doing anything different. And then I met Ron and I was very surprised that, that we did fall in love and things were good and he wanted me to marry him. And I, I hesitated uh, for a long time. We were together four years before we got married. And I realized that I was feeling that way because I didn't feel like I was unmarried from Jacques. Now, yes, he was gone. I couldn't still be, you know, physically married to him. But with a divorce, you have have an ending where with a, a death, you didn't separate from each other. Mm-hmm. And I haven't really had anybody, when I tell somebody something about that, they go, really? You know, they think, I, you know, till death do you part. Didn't you read the, the words, you know? Yeah. And that's so interesting that, that you say that. And you're and you're right. Sometimes just because that person's gone doesn't mean you feel less married to them. They're just not with you. And I think people don't understand that. Just just as when I got divorced and I was grieving, I, I a lot of times thought, well, when you grieve a death, they're gone. But I'm grieving somebody that's still living and going on with life. And what do I do with that? You know, that's, it's almost as if that is not as much grieving as a death because the person is still here. It's a divorce. And so I think, you know, it's kind of interesting that you say that because the other side of that too, I think is, is, is true for divorce. It's like, well, you shouldn't be grieving it. I mean, it's not like they died. You, you chose to, to get a divorce. And no, it's not, it, it's a process just like any other, but you're right. Just because the person is not here does not mean you don't feel married and yeah. you have to be able to work through that. Yeah, that and, and what you just described with uh, divorce, that in that case, when you're dealing with that loss, it is the loss of a relationship and that is gone. That is over. Yeah. As opposed to, uh, yeah, the person might still be there, but the relationship's not there Yeah. Anymore. That's interesting. They're just complete opposites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. I've really enjoyed talking to you and, and you offer a different perspective on things um, than a lot of people have access to when they're in the grieving process. So I, I really appreciate that uh, context that you've yes. been able to provide here. 
Thank you. I'm so glad you had me. I appreciate it very much. Well, thanks. And I'll have in the show notes the, the links to Lisa so that you can get a hold of her if you'd like to and, and learn more and more about the work she does. And I'm very happy to have been able to do this today. And I'll see you all next week. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.